Hi, I'm Tina Spangler with TLC Barrels and welcome to my podcast. Today I'm going to start a important, a very important uh, podcast. I feel like that it needs to be discussed on horsemanship, on um, relationships, on energy and connection um, with our horses. And it really does begin um, with yourself. Um, I think that um, a lot of times in my Facebook group, my coaching group, we spend a lot of time on uh, critiquing competition runs, on dry work and drills to work on to improve performance. Um, I teach how to improve mindset for competition and calming your nerves and such. But I think something we haven't spent enough time on is connection and uh, relationship and energy with your horse and the reason I want to talk about that today a lot of people join my group based on listening to my podcast and that makes me really happy because that makes me feel like you come to me organically you come to me because something I said resonated with you was maybe thought-provoking or inspiring enough that you wanted to be a part of my program which makes me very happy and that's how I always want people to come to me. Over the years, I've really grown as a person and a horseman, just as we all should. Um, but in the beginning, when I started it, I started it because of things I saw I didn't like. But if you go even back further than the early 90s, when I started my program as an adult, I go back to my childhood when I was eight years old. And I think of when my parents got me my first pony and she was a Welsh pony and knew everything and did great speed events, barrels and poles and won a lot for me, gave me a ton of confidence, even though I knew nothing. And she won despite me. Um, even back then, I remember how much I just loved being at the stables and the smell and riding her around bareback or just hanging out in her stall with her, just that love for horses. And I always want to be that little girl that loved horses first and foremost. But somewhere along the line, we become adults with adult goals and dreams and finances and troubles. And sometimes that changes. And um, I want you to think about horses in the way that you approach them um, with your energy um, and your connection. You know, there's a lot of times people will go to a horse with an agenda. You immediately go out there, grab their halter, maybe say, hey boy, and then bring them on out and start grooming and saddle and get onto your agenda. But um, sometimes it goes really poorly. And I think there's things that you really need to ask yourself when you're around your horse. Um, you know, like, like, uh, you know, just knowing, knowing things like where you're at with your horse, um, you know, maybe four, four important questions, uh, you know, before anytime you're going to go to your horse, where am I at emotionally? Uh, where's my horse at emotionally? Where are we going to be as a team? And then what is the cause of what's going on? So let's say you get them out and they're really hyper or something you know, do you meet them where they're at and your energy gets really up and you're like, quiet, knock it off? Or do you bring yourself down and 
take some deep breaths and and settle yourself and let them settle or do you even take it a step before that when you greet them in the stall and just relax this morning when I went out to take care of horses my gray mare was laying down she's been dealing with Cushing's and laminitis so I immediately wanted to get her up and see if she was okay but I rather went into her stall and sat beside her and talked to her and just sat there quietly for a moment and just kind of paid attention to her breathing and was she just relaxing was it something more and I just was with her and then I decided to leave her be and go about my business and I left her stall door open and fed all the horses and started to clean stalls and fly spray and everything else and um, water and she got up on her own eventually and started to eat and then I went over and greeted her again and brought her out and um, we take a morning walk together and um, to get her from that stiffness of being in her stall so much with getting better. And I just won't meet her where she's at. If she wants to move a little, I'll let her and then I'll let her rest. And then I move a little more. I just try to meet her where she's at. And that's a patient situation. But let's say it's Rocky, my colt. He was um, sick when he was born. So Rocky didn't have a choice no one asked Rocky his opinion. They just immediately went to doctoring him 24 hours a day. Grab him, doctor him, grab him, doctor him, pick him up, make him drink from the bottle, get him up to his mama to nurse. He didn't ever have choices. It was just do this, do that, do this, because we're trying to get you to live and survive. So often when you go to Rocky, he's on the defense because no one asks him what he wants. So with that said that's the time that I have to make sure that when I do go to Rocky I go to Rocky and try to ask him where he's at you know I'll I'll, I'll pet him I'll I'll um talk to him I'll you know ask his permission to touch him and to love on him not that you know he's above me in a pecking order sense or anything else but I'm just trying to not force my agenda on him at all times um, you know, obviously we all have things we have to do, but often barrel racers or people in general, we're performance driven. Um, as a trainer, I always had a goal that I had to meet for a client. As a competitor, I had a goal to meet for myself. Um, and I think that's where over the time, it's taught me to change the way I've interacted with horses. And as a, as a clinician and lessons, I see it all too often Horses will be jacked up on energy and the, the rider's like, see, see, see what they're like. And the rider's jacked up on energy too. So I'll be like, all right, I need you to calm yourself and just stand here and face flex your horse and take deep breaths each time you flex them. And pretty soon the energy is met of the horse and the rider back to a nice calm place. Um, so what I'm looking for is... It's kind of like this. Right before I do a lesson or a clinic, I'll say a little prayer. You know, God, please let me be positive. Let this be a good interaction. Let me help them meet their goals. Um, but then there's times where if you expect conflict, you're going to get conflict. You know, like sometimes you'll, you have to be right or you have to be heard. And it just escalates with other humans. And 
looking back, you're like, I could have handled that different. I could have come to them with a more open mind. I could have listened to their point of view better. I could have just been okay that it's okay not to agree. We don't have to fight over it. Um, you know, that's why I think it's important that we do see the uh, point of view of other people. It could be your, your boss, family member, a friend, your, your marriage, your husband. Um, I do remember on my wedding day, we, we literally, I spent 25 years in Southern California. I grew up in a little horse town, Norco, California. They had trails instead of sidewalks and we'd get home from school and we'd ride our ponies on there and tie them up at the local burger shop and get a burger or ice cream and ride them home. It was a great teenage, young, early, you know, middle school years, um, to do those kind of things and uh those are fun years but then um i met my husband and when he came there he was from louisiana though so he was wanting to climb corporate ladder so when we got married we all had our goals i was in love and i agreed to move away from my family which i'd always been around my family for 25 years um in the goal of chasing his career and marrying the man that I loved and eventually having a horse ranch and having horses and, and hopefully training horses and all of those things. We all had our dreams, his dream, my dream, you know, but on my wedding day, my reception, the father daughter dance, my father said to me, and you, there's things in life. You remember positive things, negative things. And there's certain things someone will say to you that will stick in your mind for the rest of your life. And that day he said to me, you know, right now you're in love and everything's going great, but there'll be time where things are going to get hard. And just remember, communication is everything. And, you know, coming from my father who divorced my mother when I was only nine years old, I understood because they were very young. They had three kids by the time my son currently is 25. And I still see my son as a young man i couldn't imagine my son having three of his own children so um they were babies having babies so of course they had struggles financially emotionally you know all of that they weren't done growing up themselves and they were raising their own children and i know that's how things were done back then people had babies right out of high school now people tend to wait more um times have changed but so with that, at the time when you're a kid, though, all you know is you have a broken home. But as an adult, you go into a marriage never planning to divorce. You know you're in love and you plan to stay married forever. No one gets married expected to divorce. But divorce happened 50% or more of times. And so often it is a lack of relationship, communication, of, of, of doing the right thing for each other. And so I think um, with that said, it, it's a point of view that we have to evaluate in us as humans with our interaction with horses. Um, I think God gives us tools, tools to be empathetic and not critical, sympathetic and, and very caring and not judging or uh, self, self-centered. Um but I do believe, you know, even when we got to Colorado and he was climbing his career and I got my farm and my horses and started my lessons and my training and competing, 
everything seemed great, but we still started to grow apart and could not communicate. Even with marriage counseling, still lack of communication. I didn't see it then, but I clearly see it now, how we kept drawing lines in the sand. And, and rather than growing together, we were slowly growing apart. And after 24 years of marriage and 26 years together, we grew too far apart and divorced. So I look back on it now and I see where we both made our mistakes. And, you know, that's a lifetime. I was 25, 23 when I met him, 25 when I married him, 30 when I had my first child. So there are so many wonderful things, though, when you look back, more good than bad. Um, but you can always look back on every life and say, oh, I could have done this in every relationship. I could have done this. I could have done that. Even in business, you know, I have people join my clinics or lessons or horse training or virtual group. And I put so much energy and effort into it when I was a younger trainer in my early 30s and 40s. And I would be devastated if I worked so hard with them and they went elsewhere. I took it very personal, but and even hurt relationships over it. Um but maybe it was just that I shouldn't have looked at it that way. I should have looked at it as you plant your seed and it grows or it doesn't grow. Or you've taught them where what you can teach them where they're at. And then they have their own journey to go on. And maybe somebody else they resonate with better. Or maybe they'll come back to you when they're at that point where they're ready to hear what you have to say again. Um, or maybe you just didn't handle a conflict well, um, or disagreement well. There's so many things on that level as a human to human that we have to consider when we're talking about our horses. So what I challenge you to do in this podcast is write this down. And when you go into see your horse or anything you're doing with your horse, it could be when you get to a barrel race and they come off the horse trailer um, it could be when you go to load them in the horse trailer or when you're warming them up or maybe you're just getting them out to ride at home. There's four things you need to pay attention to is where you're at. One, number two, where they're at. And um, number three, where you're at as a team. And then number four, what is the cause? And, and try to get back to a place where you can... Um, communicate again it may require just not doing a thing it may require you stopping and taking deep breaths um you know it might be uh, a moment where you have to realign your brain um where you're not you're not overthinking it um you know, uh, you just have to calm down. And sometimes just your calming down, they will calm down. Um, sometimes you're just focusing on one cue, they will start to just focus on that one cue. And then um, pretty soon, they're no longer scared of the, the stagecoach that went by at the rodeo because they're calmed and you're calm and they're calm and you're not reacting. Or let's say even just going into the adrenaline of the alleyway if you get really nervous, they get really nervous. If you settle yourself, they'll settle. Um, it just small things like that. Um, you know, I often, people ask me, you know, I always love training horses. 
you know, I loved competing. I felt like competition was exciting and adrenaline. And uh, as I was competitive, I wanted to win. And I felt like if I won, my horses were my business card. And I could show how I like to do things. Because there was times in my Colorado days when I was learning, I was trying to learn from anybody and everybody I could because I felt like that would help me develop myself and what I wanted or didn't want. And there were things I saw I hated and things I liked. You know, I saw abuse to horses. I saw people using equipment on horses that looked like mid um, medieval torture, you know, with the, the brain chains and the cable tie-downs, the wire tie-downs, and, you know, just mule bits and just things that just looked horrible. Um, also, really, you know, trainers that people respected because of how much they won uh, leaving blood on a horse's side or riding them down until they were just flat exhausted, um, you know, death by loping circles or, you know, not stopping. And, and so they backed them and spurred them until they did um, stop without having to be spurred and backed for a, an hour. Um, just so much that I saw that I hated of people who you should have respected because they had won so much and people look at the leaderboard often. And I, I look at the leaderboard too. I mean, it's exciting to see someone win. Um, we all want to uh, root for someone who's winning, but sometimes you find out their methods are horrible and those are not things that people talk about publicly. Um, you hear about that stuff sometimes behind the scenes and, Maybe it's not true, but if you hear about it enough, it makes you start wondering, well, maybe it could be true. You know, if it happened to several people, if it happened to several horses, and it makes you sad to think that anybody would treat a horse in this time and age with, uh, when there's so much out there with the internet and clinics and YouTube and, you know, out there to teach you better, kinder, gentler ways to work with a horse that you don't have to do it through fear, exhaustion, intimidation, um, starvation, abuse, severe methods, severe equipment, you know, bidding a horse up for eight hours. Uh, you know, there's so much you don't need to do. And unfortunately, over the years when I was doing barrel racer bayous, I saw so much horse abuse, I wouldn't even finish some articles that people asked me to do for Florida barrel horses because that trainer, while they won a lot as a competitor, their methods, I could not write their article because I was afraid someone might copy them and it kind of broke my heart. <clears throat> so I think you have to look at winning at what cost are you willing to go at? And I want people that resonate with me and my ideas. So not everyone's going to. And mind you, I, I like I said, I want to win, but I love horses first. That's what Ride With Heart has always been about, you know, giving your best inside and outside the arena, but also putting the horse first. And when you have that little gut voice inside of you telling you don't enter them today, they're sore, or why they're acting out that something's not right, listen to it because it's probably right. Um, you know, people, uh, people will say sometimes, and it kind of makes me giggle because 
you know, they'll say, oh, well, my horse deserves this saddle or this title or this championship, or they deserve to go to this event. But it's honestly the human that wants this ribbon or buckle or saddle or title, because honestly, as a trainer and a competitor for so many years, I knew more horses that when you hooked up the trailer, booked it to the back of the pasture with their buddies, than horses that come running to get in the trailer. Um, those are far and few between. I do believe that most horses would be happier out in their pasture eating grass with their buddies than being at a loud rodeo with a bunch of adrenaline pumping through them and having to, you know, work their tail off in the pattern. Um, you know, not saying that those horses aren't out there. Um, but I, I also think some of it's how you and your horse are together as well. Like for me, I've always known I like um, being outdoors and I like isolation and solitude and I like nature and horses and dogs and I like that quiet life. So I don't really like being around a lot of loud rodeos and a loud events. I'm not a real, um, a, you know, a social person like super shows never appealed to me to just hang out and camp and socialize for three days and 16 seconds to run my horse. I, I just wasn't my thing. Um, so, but everybody has what they like. I went to them, I did them, but if I could haul in and out, go back to my farm, I was doing that. Let my horses have the comfort of their pasture and let me have the comfort of my bed. I was more onto that. So, um, but again, everybody has their thing. So, um, I do think though, when people say that they're not always where the horse is, it's more what maybe what they want, um, and all of that. So, um, I think we have to meet a horse halfway. I think that, um, I'm supposed to get hip surgery, uh, after my clinic in October and then I'll recover and be back at it in December with more clinics. And then uh, hoping for a really busy 2023 without pain and back to riding my horse and enjoying my horses more um, and all that. So this hip surgery, I've been putting it off because one, I've never had any kind of surgery. Two, it's expensive and I have to take time off and work and I don't have anyone to help. So I have to work it around when my son and my dad can be here to help me out. Um, <clears throat> so but I think about that, people say, oh, I can't wait to see you compete again and all that, but I'm not sure exactly what I want to do afterwards yet. I'm going to just take it day to day. Living not in pain for two years will be the first step to clearing my mind on that. But um, but I'm also in a different place now. I, I was a competitor for 25 years. I was a trainer for 25 years um, as an adult. And you know, I'm in a different place where I actually, I love helping people with horses and, um, and I love the relationships of horses and people. And I feel like, uh, that that is where I'm at now, where I really want to see what makes that tick and how to improve those relationships. And I do feel like that's something that, um, you have to really spend time with, with horses. I don't think there can be a magic bit or uh, different trainers or different methods. I think the key is um, your foundation, how in sync you are with your horse, um, the time spent with your horse, that connection, that energy of meeting them where they're at. Um, 
I do feel like I'm a very much a trainer uh, as a trainer. I think I'm very analytical. I think I'm more of a trainer than I am as a competitor. I think some people are just amazing jockeys, but I don't really would never want to ride behind them as a trainer um, or a, or a competitor. Um, you know, I do think there's good sides and downsides to competition. Um, you know, the hard part for me in competition was I loved my horses and I wanted them to last me forever from five to 20. I wanted them healthy and competing. Um, it wasn't about one deer bus. It was about being the best team we could be wherever that put us because I often get them as young horses, three years old. Um, so, you know, I I didn't like seeing my horses get hurt because of competition or I didn't like seeing them upset or stressed. Um, but there was, you know, upsides too. There was that time, the memories, the, you know, just hanging out with them. There's a lot of emotional therapy that goes along with having a horse. And, and it is a fun thing to take where you guys have, have trained, you know, taught them their basics and their pattern and moved up the divisions from the 40 to the 1D. It's exciting to have those relationships grow with a horse. So, but, um, but I think that's the thing. Um, I think you have to kind of sit down and say, you know, what are your goals? What is it that you want? And um, some questions you might ask yourself is, you know, what is your number one goal for you and your horse? Um, so write that down. What is your number one goal for you and your horse? Is it A, to develop a happy, calm, confident, well-rounded horse? Or is it B, to win at a top level of barrel racing? Is it C, that you may just want to enjoy your horse and become a solid team working at your own personal best? And that's going to help decide what you want in your horse or in your future and, and your goals. Um, number two, what matters most to you? A, is um, to have a horse that's calm on the trail and warming up and in the alleyway. And this is like the first thing that the, there's three choices and maybe you'll want one choice. Or maybe you'll want all three choices, but pick the choice that is the most important to you, even though it might be, well, this one's number one, that one's number two, or maybe they're all equal, but I would like you to go with your gut on what's the one that stands out with you the most, because that's going to kind of tell you who you are as a competitor or as a trainer or as a horse person and kind of evaluate your own goals. Um, what matters most to you? A, being calm on the trail, warming up and in the alleyway. B, they clock consistently, a, a nice pattern. Or C, they run and win in the 1D regularly. Uh, number three, what are you doing um, the most when you spend time with your horse? Either A, riding them. B, competition. Three, just hanging out with them around the barn or the pasture. Or D, grooming them in groundwork. And then question number four, what are um, most, what is most important to you? A, a happy horse and a long relationship together. And on the relationship built that you have together. B, winning in the 1D and um, having that pro level potential. 
<coughs> C, consistent team at your own personal best. Number five, how's your connection to your horse? And just answer these yes or no. They come to you and want to interact when you come to the barn or the pasture. Two, they won't interact. They stand off from you. Like they're shut down when you're trying to interact with them. Number three, they say hello or they seem very disconnected to your presence. Number four, are you aware of their feelings, of their emotions? All right, question number six. How do you feel around your horse? Number one, or excuse me, A, happy and in the moment. B, goal-oriented, you need to get certain things done. Or C, you're stressed and worried about how it will go. So those are just some questions that I want you to write down. And I think those will help clarify for you. It doesn't matter what I say about that. What matters is where you are with your horse and what you want out of it. I think it's important as, as people and um, as horse owners to know exactly what it is that makes us tick. What is your passion and your purpose? What might be mine is going to be opposite from yours because I'm in a different place or I have different goals. Um, you know, some of your goals are going to be way up there at the competitor level. Some of you are just going to be, you know, developing that calm, confident horse. And when I talk about <clears throat> calm, confident horse, I don't want you to take it casually and just say, oh, yeah, of course I want a calm, confident horse. But really break down, how do I get a calm horse? A calm horse comes first by being a calm leader. Um, if you're an intense person and you're just talk really loud and your energy level's really loud, I mean, think of someone like Fallon Taylor. Her in intensity is way up there. And then think about someone else who's really calm and quiet in their tone. Like I try to be around horses because... As a trainer, I find it important to come to a horse from the uh, Chinese element of like earth, you know, being very quiet and calm. You'll notice, let's say the people who do your horse's body work, your chiropractor, your massage therapist, their tone is very calm and their breathing is very deep and quiet and slow because they're trying to get the horse in a relaxed state. So... Let's say the vet comes to work on my horse and I'm intense about it because I know my horse doesn't like having their coggins pulled because they don't like needles and, and, um, you know, most horses don't care, but let's take Rocky. He had picked and prod his whole first two months of his life. So he's really defensive. So then I start getting anxiety and then the vet comes up and I warn the vet and then the vet gets her anxiety up and it never goes well. So, but if we change that narrative and I just put Rocky where I normally groom Rocky and I stay clear and I let the vet go up to the horse and connect to the horse first alone without me because two people to Rocky means it's going to gang up on Rocky. Let the vet go to the horse alone and just pet him and connect with him and then she can get that needle in without any drama. But had it been both of us and both of us were expecting a fight, it becomes a fight. So it's the same with a farrier. 
if your horse, um, you know, certain farriers have a more of a cowboy approach. They're just, some farriers are just very calming around a horse and horses just really interact with them and others are very rigid around a horse and you will see how horses behave differently. Now, I'm not saying one is right or one is wrong. I think horses can also adjust to a farrier that's more that way as well as, um, but I've also seen a horse change in their whole demeanor when a farrier takes a little bit of a moment to say hello to a horse and to rub a horse before they pick up a foot. I often think of a movie I watched. I think it was a prison movie where they worked on horses and um, the first thing they said was, all right, go clean their feet. And they struggled to get the horse's hoof picked up and they had many of them try and the person teaching them would laugh because they would push and they would pull and they would, you know, just just tug and they would just be so frustrated. But not a soul asked the horse to give them their foot. No one connected to the horse's mind. They just tried to force that thousand pound animal to pick up their foot. But you and I all know as horse people how to pick up a horse's foot through a communication of cue. And that all requires connection to a horse's mind. And that's what I based my business on many, many years ago was the based on love, but also trust and respect and communication of cues. And that is how I believe it should always be done. When I see people forcing a horse to do something like get in a trailer as a child, I'm sure you, if you've been around horses long enough, you've seen crazy stuff. I've seen people blindfold them. I've seen them two people, one person pull them, two big giant men behind them and use their arms connected and push them in. Uh, I've seen pulley ropes where they put a rope through a window and, and pull the horse in while whipping at the back end. And and do you honestly think the next time they go to load the horse, it's going to be any less of a fight? So, um, of course, that's a horrible way. I always think you should have certain theories and principles that you don't uh, go away from. One can be, one of my principles is they can't get hurt, I can't get hurt, and they end calmer than we begin. If I always go to that and then always try to start with greeting them and saying hello, you know, asking for permission to put the halter on, by connecting to them first, not just throwing that rope over, grabbing them and going, but actually say hello, just like you would if a client came to your house or a family member came over, you'd say, hello, how are you? It's so nice to see you. You know, it shouldn't be any different when you go to a horse, but people do it all the time. And I think it's, um, you know, even in a pecking order situation, a horse doesn't just, you know, always force their opinion. The head horse, uh, the dominant horse, they also interact with them, itching each other's withers and things like that too. You know, but we all know we've seen how horses are. They can pin an ear or cock a leg or just twitch their head in a certain way. And the other horses are like, yeah, you go first. You got this. You know, you're the boss. Um, so we have to look at herd elements, herd dynamics. Uh, and understand how a horse communicates. I mean, it's no different than if you and I went to Japan and didn't speak Japanese, we would feel very much like a fish out of water. So we have to learn to adapt. And I think that's our responsibility as a horse person 
to understand how they think, you know, fight or flight, lazy, um, repetition, consistency, uh, you know, just the pecking order, um, you know, just things like that, things that are natural for them. Um, it is our place to, you know, their flight or flee, you know, fight or flee um, when they get scared. All of those things we have to look at when we are training horses or, or interacting with horses. And I truly believe if you do this, I'm not just saying all this stuff so that you will be like, where is she going with this? But I am 100%, 100% believe that if you start your interaction with a horse or a person on a positive note, it's going to end on a positive note. It's also going to develop a stronger relationship when you're under pressure. Because that's something that I see far too often. And it really breaks my heart. As a trainer, I would rather take a colt in training that had hardly any training with people. And it was so much easier to train than taking a horse that had tons of people that screwed it up. You know, that horse with people problems. Kind of like the movie, The Horse Whisperer. Are you train horses? Are you, you help people with horse problems? No, I help horses with people problems. You know, it's very much that. Um, I, it takes so much longer to fix horses that have been screwed up mentally and physically by people. Um, and the sad thing is, is they revert back to those old ways. So it takes so long. Where had they been taught gently and correctly from the beginning, uh, they don't have a bad foundation. So they don't have bad bad problems it's kind of like when you build a house um you know last week i talked about common problems and tlc solutions common problems don't have to happen if you have a solid foundation if you build a house on a crappy foundation no matter how gorgeous that house is it's going to fall but if you build a house on a solid foundation it's going to hold up it's the same with a horse if you add speed before you've got a solid basics um, or if you put them on the pattern before they know their foundation, you're going to develop bad habits and you won't have anything to revert back to to fix it when problems arise. So you should spend 80% of your time on the little things like suppleness and body collection and only 20% on pattern and drills and things like that. Um, and I really believe that with all my mind. Um, and I do know, like, as a trainer, when a horse came in, people gave me unrealistic timelines. You know, I want this horse, you know, clocking 40 and 90 days, you know, or 60 days. And they come in with no foundation. They didn't even face flex left, right, and down. They didn't know how to rate off my body or shorten or extend their strides, uh, transitions. They couldn't do perfect circles, big or small. And I'm getting supposed to get this horse to run the pattern two seconds off pro horses in, in two months or three months. You know, I guess I could force it to. You know, I could pattern the bejeebies out of it. I could just, you know, spend an hour every single day just pick, 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 pick. Maybe put on bigger bits than I want, bigger tie downs. I, I could. But would I have a horse that was going to be solid? <clears throat> no, not at all. Um, now, were many clients going to give me a year to train a horse? 
Probably not. But if you look at big maturity trainers, they usually have a horse minimum for one year. After that horse has probably spent a year with basics um, and then they get them and they start hauling them, pattern them, exhibition them, time runs for a year. And then they have the next year of competition. So most horses have at least two good years in them before they ever get on the clock um, that are going to compete at the top level. They don't have everything shoved down their throat in six months or 90 days. Um, those horses will be horses that hunt a barrel, rate a barrel, and turn a barrel on their own more than a horse that you have to do so much for them and shut them down and check them and all that. So there is a time and a place for uh, consistency and repetition. Um, so, you know, obviously, you know, that's how horses learn by doing 50 perfect circles. Um, do you have to do all 50 in the first day? No, you could do 50 in a week. Um, you know, do you want to do the pattern 10 times in a day? Probably not. You could do, I do things in sets of three. I do, you know, uh, three walk, three trot, three lope, and then maybe walk at the end again. Um, I feel like after three, they get tired. Um, you know, but if they do perfect on the second one, I'm going to quit on that. Uh, so, you know, it's just one of those things that I do believe there is a certain amount of repetition consistency that is important. Um, as, as a training for a young horse, it's no different than a child in school. You would want to, you know, I, it kills me when people say, well, I only ride my horse once a week and they're four. And it's like, well, they're not going to get anywhere. They're, of course, you're having trouble. You can't ride a baby, you know, one day a week and expect them to behave themselves. You know, minimum three, ideally five. Um, everybody deserves a day off. Um but you've got to put in the effort in these young horses. It's no different than kids going to school. Kids don't go to school Saturday and Sunday. They go to school Monday through Friday. And that's because on Monday, they're not really focused. Tuesday, they're starting to focus. By Wednesday, Thursday, teachers are on a roll. By Friday, they're ready for the weekend again. So, um, you know, kids learn by a little bit of time all the time. I once heard of a trainer who charged a load of money. I would think it was like $1,000 for a week. Um, but he rode those poor horses for eight hours a day. They must have been exhausted. And his methods were not kind. Um, so imagine when that horse gets home, you know, average Betty is only going to have 30 minutes an evening to ride her horse and maybe once on the weekend. So she's not going to put in eight hours a day. Do you really think that's realistic for that horse and that rider? No. That's why you have to choose carefully where your horses go if you have to send them out. That's why I think it's important riders learn how to train themselves. And if you do send them out, don't expect them to come home and stay trained. You have to keep it up or it's a waste of money. Just flush it down the toilet now. Um, it's important that you, you know, go take lessons with them once a week. That way you can't say, hey, the trainer didn't do anything. You know, that way you see what the trainer's going through, the highs and the lows and the challenges. And also so you learn how to keep it going once the horse comes home because they may ride a little bit different than you. So often I'd have people bring me a horse and they'd say, oh, I don't think the trainer rode him. I'm like, well, did you take a lesson? No. Did you get a move out lesson? No. I'm like, how could you, how do you, I don't understand how owners do that. Like wh why would a trainer, A, want allow it? And B, why would a, a owner not want to be a part of the process? 
So those are things that I've never really understood in our industry. Um, I think you should be an active part. And even if it's far away, then get videos and, and get photos weekly. You know, see the progress, see how they look and on all of that. I've heard terrible horror stories. Um, but ideally, you need to be a part of it at least weekly, if not the worst case scenario, monthly. Um, so anyways, those are just my thoughts on that. Let me see if I left myself any notes of anything else I wanted to cover on this podcast before I um, finish. Uh, you know, one thing I want to say is I, I understand my my clientele are barrel racers and pole bending, um, high school rodeo, junior rodeo, pro rodeo, jackpot, super show. That's my clientele. And I understand that we can't do groundwork and liberty work and just sit and, and um, you know, stare at our horses every day. We have to have other things, you know. But I don't, I don't think you have to shove things down their throat every single day hard, too, though. I think that's how we get alley issues. That's how we get horses that run up the fence and are blown up. Um, and that's how I think people are always searching for a different bit and stuff because what they need to do is have a bit more knowledge, really connect with that horse. So I think there has to be a happy medium and I'm going to end there. And I really do hope that this resonates with the people that listen to my podcast, the people that are in my virtual coaching group or come to my clinics or lessons. And, and I really, um, I just honestly want that to be what I leave you with that it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You can meet them somewhere in the middle. But I want you to be very aware of yourself with your horse. Um, I think that I think that it's important that a horse feels like they are being heard, that they are being seen, that they are being felt, and that you get them. No different than you want to be heard, seen, felt, and that someone gets you. Um, I remember when I got, I'm going to finish with this last little story, but I remember when I bought Briscoe, um, she, my Patty, Patty Roberts was going to meet Kelly Kaminsky in Texas at the Houston rodeo. And I said, well, you're there, Patty. At the time she was WPRA president. I said, if you see any two-year-olds or three-year-olds for about two grand that are barrel racing bloodlines, bring her home to me, a mare. And she said, I won't find that. But sure enough. Next door to Kelly was a place that had race horses and barrel fraternity horses, and they also swam horses. It was a rehabilitation place. So they went over there for that reason, and she found my Briscoe. And she brought her home. I met her up in North Florida to get her. Her eyes were popping out of her head. She was wild looking. But I'd already paid for her. I brought her home. She was still pretty crazy for the first week, so I let her settle in. Then I went to starting her in the round pen, and she literally bucked with the saddle for a month. My close friends are like, you're not really going to ride her, are you? I was like, I bought her. I kind of have to now. So if it had been a client's horse, I would have sent her home. But she was mine, bought and paid for. She's first down dash, um, you know, Briscoe County Junior, uh, runaway bud. She's my girl. She ends up being my heart horse because I worked my butt off to earn that mare's trust. And, you know, that's a long story. It took me a very long time. And I had, she's quirky. She's fractious. I had to meet her where she was. She's kind of a chicken in a horse suit. But 
she ends up being probably the barrel horse I ran the longest and enjoyed the most on the pattern. Um, and she was dog quiet on a trail ride. Um, there were certain things she didn't like. She didn't want to go work cows. She didn't like horses coming straight at her in the warm-up pens. She didn't like to see what was behind the curtain at the rodeos. She just wanted to go in there and do her run and get done. Um, you know, no exhibitions, none of that. But um, but she was my girl. So I guess that's what I'll leave you with is realize that every horse is different. It's easier to build a confident horse than to try to fix a broken horse. So try to remember that every time you work with your horse that you want to build a relationship that's based on trust and respect and love and communication of cues. You want to connect to their mind. You want to say, hello, how are you today? See your horses, hear your horses. Um, let them know you get them just as much as you want that from other people for you. So thank you for tuning in. As always, ride with heart and God bless.